Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. So quick review. Um, We talked last week in chapter 2. We looked at the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And today we're going to go down from verse 12 down through the end of the chapter, effectively. Um, But we talked about the ideas that Paul presents in these first few verses. Going down, really, we took our emphasis uh, from verses 5 through 9. And we said that Paul is talking here about showing esteem for each other. He starts this passage by talking about what it means to esteem one another. And we said that esteem is the admiration and the value that we show to people as though they are more important than ourselves. So I show, when I show esteem to you, I, you know, imagine, imagine like a grandparent that you really respect and admire and value. You show esteem to them. You value them as more important than you because they're your grandparents. You know, they're the ones that you, that you really look to. And so we show esteem to people that we value and to people that we value as more than ourselves. We said esteem becomes problematic when we put the word self in front of it. That self-esteem is to give myself praise and admiration because I think of myself as better than everybody else. And that can get pretty ugly. We said we need to pursue self-respect rather than self-esteem. And when we have self-respect, our worth is built upon who God says that we are based on his word. You see, when I only have self-esteem working in my life, then my worth becomes based on who I say that I am based on how I feel. And that doesn't get you very far. When I base my own value on myself, it doesn't work out in my favor. But when I base my value on God's word and what he says and who he says that I am, then life begins to function the way that it should. He goes on to say Jesus lowers himself by, as our example by becoming like one of us. You remember when he says that? He, he humbled himself unto death. And then it says that as a result of that, God highly exalted him. He exalted Jesus beyond the exaltation of any other person, place, or thing. There is no one in all of human history, time, and space that has more value and is more exalted than Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible says God's highly exalted him and given him the name that was above every other name. I don't know if that means something to you this morning or not, but it means something. Amen. There is nobody like Jesus. Nobody. And so we we jumped into these these first 11 verses, and that was kind of what we took out of them, that we should be exalting and, uh, excuse me, we should be esteeming each other as more valuable. And how do we do that? We follow in the example that Christ gave for us in that he lowered himself and God esteemed him. You know, the reality is if you will learn and if I will learn to lower ourselves, God is the one that will exalt us. Just the way that he exalted Jesus, he'll exalt you too. It pairs real closely with 1 Peter chapter 5, which says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that in due season he will exalt you. 
If you want to live the exalted life, the way to do it is to be in Christ and to humble yourself. If you try to exalt yourself, you'll get knocked down every time. But if you humble yourself and allow God to exalt you, then you'll be cooking. Amen? So we want to continue today then from verse 12. And what we're going to do is we're really going to focus on verses 12 down through verse 18. Verses 19 through 30, to the end of the chapter, Paul is really just talking about his friends. He's talking about Timothy, and he's talking about Epaphroditus. And when I was reading that this week, I thought to myself, could you imagine if you were named Epaphroditus? And I don't think anybody here or watching is named Epaphroditus. But it's just like, you know, could you imagine if you're born... And, you know, the, the doctor holds the, you up in the, you know, in the room, and they're like, the baby's here. What are we going to call him? And the mom's just like, Epaphroditus. I thought, I'm so glad I'm named Josh. I'm just so glad I'm named Josh. Um, but Paul's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's talking about them. There's not really a ton of lessons that we're going to take out of verses 19 through 30. So I want to just invite you to read those at your... Uh, on your own time this week and for your own purposes of study, but we're going to focus on verses 12 down through verse 18. So let's read those together, okay? Verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining, without disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink, rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now there's a lot of things that we want to say in those verses. And I, before we go any farther, I just want to take a moment and pray over the word, if that would be all right. If you would just bow your heads with me real quick. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your word, Lord. We thank you that the Bible declares that the entrance of your word gives light. That, Lord, that you, by your word, have the power to create things in us that we cannot do on our own. That you can grant unto us wisdom and revelation, eyes that see and ears that hear. Lord, I ask you for the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation to flow through this place today as we look at the word, that our eyes would be enlightened, God, that we would know the hope of your calling, that we would know everything that you have in store for us to receive. We purpose to receive from you today, God. We set our hearts and we set our focus on the word of God this morning. And we call this place into the divine order of the house of God. Let every word that is spoken this morning be done under the unction and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot of things that we could say about this passage. There's a lot that Paul unpacks. And I'm going to focus for just a few moments on verse 12. There's, there's, there, really, there's an, like three sermons that could come out of verse 12. But let's look at this for a moment. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you've always obeyed, 
not as in my absence only, but now much more in my absence. Excuse me, not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's pretty interesting because Paul is really paying them a very high compliment. He's saying that not only did you obey my words while I was with you, you're you're being obedient while I'm not there. And that's a massive compliment for the people of Philippi. That's a massive compliment for their church. You're familiar with the old adage, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Well, the cat was away and the mice were still not playing. They were still doing what good mice are supposed to do, you know, hiding in the walls and eating cheese and pooping and stuff like that. But they were doing what good mice are supposed to do. And Paul is commending them for that. And I think there's an amazing lesson for us in that. It's really not in my notes, but I feel like maybe the Lord wants me to to say it to us this morning, that we need to be the kind of people who remain consistent when nobody is looking. When the authority is not in the picture, we're still doing the the things that we know we're supposed to do, and we're still living uh, the lifestyle and the attitude that we're supposed to have. Again, this is not in my notes, but I think maybe the Lord wants, wants us to talk about it for a second. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. What would we look like as a church if our integrity got more intense when nobody was looking? What would we be, what kind of people would we be if we ratcheted down our obedience to the word when nobody was watching? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You see, when you recognize that that character and integrity are the bedrock of our lives, verses like that become way more important. Verses like that stand out to us in ways that they didn't before. In fact, if you're building a life, if you're building a business, if you're building an organization, we are here together building this church. We have to understand that what happens when nobody's looking is what makes what happens when everybody's looking valuable. Amen? That wasn't too confusing, was it? Let me try to say that again. What happens when nobody's looking actually gives value to what happens when everybody is looking. Jesus said that your father is the one that sees in secret and he rewards openly. So many times we chase after the open reward while failing to embrace what God sees in secret. Our integrity is not for sale, guys. Amen. I don't know who that's for, but I pray that it encourages you this morning. Maybe it's for somebody who feels like they've been doing the same thing and they've been holding fast to the word and they just feel like they're starting to get tired because I'm doing this, I'm staying after God while nobody's looking and I don't seem to be at the open reward yet. I'm telling you, it's coming. If you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due season. There's a moment when when you've been praying and praying and praying, you've been fasting, you've been honoring God, you've been doing what you're supposed to do while nobody's looking. I'm here to tell you there's a day when everybody's going to be looking. So be encouraged. Be strengthened. Right? Like I said, that's not in my notes, but who cares? It's good anyways. My beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Let's focus on this phrase for a moment. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work out our own salvation. This verse indicates to us that we have a part to play in our own spiritual development. 
We have a responsibility to partner with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We have some work to do on our own. Now, before we go any farther forward, let me make a quick distinction here. When it says work out your own salvation, what it's not saying is that you can save yourself. Okay, let's just let's cover that real quick so that there's no questions. It would be easy to get this confused here because Paul uses the word salvation, but we can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us, right? You're, you're no good until Jesus saves you, right? I'm no good, like in the words of Bill Cosby, I'm no good on my own. We're no good on our own until Jesus saves us. Paul's not trying to make a contrary argument. What he is saying, though, is that our salvation is a starting point for our spiritual maturity. Salvation is not the end goal. It's the beginning of God's plan for our lives. If there was something that I wish more Christians could wrap their heads around, it's that concept right there. Salvation is not the end. It's the starting point. Most people spend their whole lives, I'm talking about good Christians that love Jesus, spend their whole lives thinking that salvation is God's full intention. No, it's just, that's the starting point. He wants to get you saved so he can really do something with your life. Your life doesn't begin until you give your life to Jesus, until you get saved. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. The whole concept of salvation is a starting point. So what Paul is talking about here is, is he's reminding us that when we get saved, part of our salvation is that we get equipped with the tools that we need to grow in the things of God. That's why we make that declaration before we preach every Sunday. Today I'm growing in the things of God. What's happening? Every time you come to church and you sit under the word and you worship and we get together, you are growing in the things of God because you are being equipped spiritually to develop. That's why you don't want to miss church. That's why you don't want to treat lightly and casually the things of God. There, the, there's an order to what God wants to do, and it's, it's got a reason. It's got a purpose. He wants us to grow. That's why he calls us to come together. Man, I am not, this is not in my notes. I don't know why I'm going off on this. Amen. There's a reason why we gather together. There's a reason why we're supposed to be a unified body of Christ. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 uh, in verse 24 and 25 talks about how we gather together and it says, as the day of Christ, which is the return of Christ, as the day of Christ approaches, we're to do that all the more. As the day of Christ approaches, we ought to be looking for excuses to get together as the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. So Paul's reminding us here that salvation is a starting point for our development in God. Now he says, with fear and trembling, I want to deal with the words fear and trembling, and then we're going to talk about work out, okay? Fear and trembling here does not mean being afraid, as in being, you know, afraid of the boogeyman or afraid that you're going to get held at gunpoint or something like that. It's not that kind of fear. It indicates a reverent respect, Paul uses this same terminology when he describes his own ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
He said, when I came to you, I came with fear and much trembling. My, my speech, my preaching were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but a demonstration of the power of God. I was with you in much fear and trembling. Does that mean Paul was just like afraid of the boogeyman? No, it means he had a reverent respect for the call that God had put in his life and for the ministry that he was doing. You know, when I stand behind this pulpit, it's it looks different than pulpits used to look. This is kind of a cool one. But when I stand behind this cool pulpit, I do so with fear and trembling. I'm not afraid of you, but I reverence what God has put in my life. I reverence this word. I have a reverent respect for what happens here. And I guard this pulpit. Not physically, but I guard what it means. Amen? That's why you don't see me putting, you know, a, a bunch of, you know, folks who really don't have anything to say behind this pulpit. Because I can't tell you how many times in year, over the years people are like, hey, you know, God gave me a word for your church. And I say, no, he didn't. He gave me a word for my church. And if you want to talk to me about what you think God said to you, we can talk about that. But I take this pulpit and this ministry very seriously, and I have a responsibility to guard it. There's a reverent respect for the things of God. So when Paul talks about fear and trembling, that's what he's talking about. Y'all, that makes sense, right? Now, I love his word usage here, and I'm going to spend the bulk of the time on this word usage. He says, work out your own salvation. And I love the fact that he says it, because it means just what it sounds like. A significant part of our Christian life is a workout. I don't know if you go to the gym. I don't, but clearly <laughs> I worked out with my sister this week because she's in town and she works out like a lot and I work out like not a lot and we worked out and I swear to God, y'all, I was sore for like, I'm still sore and we worked out on Monday. I'm still a little bit, you know, creaky, but I love that Paul uses that language because part of our Christian development and Christian life is a workout. It's a workout. The way this reads in the Greek is when it uses that word workout, it's actually one word in the Greek, and it means to do something that creates results. So if you're a gym person, and if you go to the gym, and you go to work out, and you buffet your body, and you're disciplined, and all those great things, you are trying to create results in your body when you pump iron, or when you get on the treadmill, or when you run, or when you row, or when you do any of those miserable things. You are trying to create results in your body. Well, Paul is instructing us that we are to live in such a way that we create results in our spiritual life. Just like God created your physical body with muscles and joints and tendons, etc., God created your spirit man. He created your spiritual life with different components which need to be trained and worked out in order to grow. Uh, there's a book, and I'm trying to remember the name of the author, but it's a phenomenal book. It's called Ordering Your Private Life. And it's all about dealing with the internal components of your heart and of your life that you can't see. Because it, it, it understands the book, the, the concept of the book is an understanding that God has created our spirit beings. God has created the inside, the internal components of our life in such a way that they need to be worked out and stretched just like our physical muscles do. 
Everything on our outside is just a physical representation of what exists on the inside. So just like you got biceps, naturally, you got spiritual biceps, if you will. You've got internal components which need to be trained. Things like your love walk. I'll just give you a few examples. We'll get nitty-gritty here. Your love walk. How you walk in love. Are you creating results in the area of walking in love? Do you have a fitness goal for your love walk? Most of us have apps with fitness goals for our biceps or our legs or our shoulders or our midsection. Do you have a fitness goal for your love walk? How about your humility? Are you more humble now than you were last year? Are you creating results in the area of humility? How about your giving? Are you giving more or less than you have given in the past? Again, I use that Bob Harrison example during the, during the offering. Wouldn't it be cool if we changed the way we think about giving and set giving goals instead of earning goals? How about your prayer life? Here's a good internal one that most people don't really want to talk about. How about your prayer life? Let me ask you, let me, let me ask it to you this way. Do you even have a prayer life? I remember hearing a pastor, friend of mine, a mentor of my life, say this from the pulpit one time. He said, most Christians don't have a prayer life. Most Christians pray over their food, and that's about it. Or they pray, they ask God, Lord, bless my day, just as they pull into their parking spot at work. Father, be with me today in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you for my kids and my wife. Hallelujah. Amen. What if we prayed like not just when we got into trouble? Come on. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. What if we prayed like not just when the going got tough? What if I actually lived to pray and I prayed to live? What about, here's another one. Are, y'all, is, are you enjoying this? We're going to the gym together. Let's, let's do some reps. I'm your spotter. I'm your spotter. Okay, let's do some reps. What about your Bible study? Is the word more valuable to you today than it was last week or last month or last year? I had a friend give me a Bible this week. Actually, he gave me two Bibles. And y'all don't even know what kind of blessing this was to receive the Bibles that he gave me. He gave me this one Bible that is so magnificent. But I was reading the word and I found myself cherishing the word because I loved this Bible so much. I was reading the Bible and I'm going, Lord, your word. I mean, this Bible's amazing and it's awesome, but what's in it is so much more awesome. Even then the materials, I mean, the materials are beautiful. It's a beautiful leather cover and it's just, oh, it's perfect. But I'm sitting there holding it in my hands and I'm like, Lord, this is your word and it is so amazing. Has the word increased in its value to you in your life? How about this one? Here's another internal component. How about your patience? Do you have a fitness goal for your patience? Are you doing patience workouts and patience resistance training? We want to pump you up, okay? Don't lose your temper. 
right? Like, listen, how, how's your temper? This one's bad for me. I have a temper. I know you don't think I do, but I do. My kids will tell you, and my dog especially will tell you that I have a temper. But this has been, the dog has been an incredible blessing because he's such a puppy. Ah, he is such a puppy. He's nine months old. He is a puppy. But he's been helping me in my patience. You know that you can use anything in life and make it work for you instead of working against you. And I, I've, been, I've been saying, Lord, I need you to help me with my patience. And if you've got to use my dead, blasted dog to do it, then do it. And, I, and you know what? I've lo- I love that dog. He's just absolutely amazing. But how's your patience? Hey, how, here, here's the last one. Last one, and then we'll, we'll move on. How's your mercy? Let me put it to you this way. Do you give as much mercy as you receive? Do you give mercy to the same measure that you receive it? See, I don't know about you, but I'm married, and, and my wife and I, we don't get along every single day, all day, every day. Sometimes we have challenges. And here's what I've been learning in my own marriage. I expect my wife to forgive me when I say that I'm sorry. But do I, am I as quick to forgive her when she apologizes as I expect her to be when, when I apologize? See, that's the giving and receiving of mercy. We take advantage of mercy all the time. Do we give it as often as we're willing and ready to receive it? The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning, every day. We can never exhaust the mercy of God. Just about the time you think I've really ticked God off, I've really, uh, man, this is it. I've pushed him farther than he's ever been pushed. There's just fresh mercy. You haven't even come close to scratching the surface of how good he is. What if we made our fitness goal for mercy that I'm going to be as merciful towards others as God is towards me? Wow. What does all this have to do with? What is, what am I, why am I talking about all this? This is what it means to work out your salvation. To start from a place where you are saved and sanctified in Christ Jesus, and now you have the spiritual equipment to begin to work out and, and cause change to happen in your life. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit to do it. Now, I want to give you a couple thoughts here. Number one is that nobody can go to the gym for you, right? Nobody can go to the gym. Listen, I would love to have somebody burn my calories for me. I would. Just get a little guy and pay him, you know, however much every day, every week. Just will you go run on the treadmill for me for a while? Let me know how it turns out. I would love that, but it can't happen. Nobody can go to the gym for you. Likewise, nobody can work out your salvation for you. Nobody can grow you up spiritually except for you. The Holy Spirit, listen to this, the Holy Spirit is the world's best trainer. But even he can't burn the spiritual calories for you. He cannot work with you if you are working against him. Selah. The Holy Spirit, the world's best trainer. Nobody even comes close. Nobody is going to do more for you spiritually than the Spirit of God himself. But if I spend all of my life pushing back against his instruction, I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm just going to get frustrated. 
you and I have to live in a place of yieldedness to the Spirit of God. Let me say that again and give you another chance to say amen. You and I have to live in a place, think about this, of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. That when he speaks, he doesn't have to shout. He doesn't have to wave his hands. He doesn't have to ask me 25 times to do something. He can just say one little whisper and it's enough for me to tweak my mercy, for me to tweak my attitude. He, he can say one little word and it's just enough to get me back on the fitness plan towards, towards my love walk. Amen. The Holy Spirit's the world's best trainer, but even he can't burn the spiritual calories for you. Here's another little free one on the side. Neither can your spouse, and neither can you for your spouse. You can't make your husband love Jesus more. You can't make your wife love Jesus more. Don't try. Pray for him instead. Amen. This is a little aside. This is just something that the Lord put in my heart. Number two, number one is nobody can go to the gym for you and work out your salvation. Number two, these are areas of life that are built intentionally. Nobody accidentally arrives at maturity. Hello. Nobody accidentally arrives at growth. It doesn't happen. And, yet, and that's, that's universal. That's spiritual growth. That's growth in your marriage and your family and your business and your work, whatever. Any area of growth, you are not going to get there by accident. What's the first question that anybody asks when they see somebody who just lost a bunch of weight or toned themselves up? They look different, you know? What's the first question anybody ever asks? How'd you do it? How'd you do it? Hey, brother, you lost 35 pounds. My God, you look good. How'd you do it? How'd you do it? You see, you realize right away that where there was a result, there was a plan because nobody arrives at growth by accident. Nobody arrives at growth by accident. I, I've seen this happen many times. Matter of fact, there's a joke that I think of. I told it to my family the other day and they laughed. It was a good one. There's a guy, a guy decides that he is unhappy with the way that he looks. So he wants to start to change his appearance. So he goes to the gym, he puts in the time, loses like 45 pounds. He starts dressing nicer, buys a bunch of new clothes, goes to the tanning bed, starts to look really good, gets his hair a different color, gets his teeth whitened. The guy looks phenomenal. He's walking out of the spa one day, out of the health club, walks into the road, gets hit by a bus. He's immediately standing before the Lord, because he's a Christian, and he's standing before God. He's like, Lord, why did that happen? Why? You said in your word you were going to protect me. Why did I get hit by a bus? He goes, I'm sorry, man. I didn't recognize you. There you go. <laughs> no, no, Listen. Listen. We all ask the same question when we see somebody go through transformation. How did you get there? How did it happen? And the, the question in and of itself points us to the fact that wherever there is a result, there was a plan. You don't arrive at spiritual maturity by accident. You make a decision that I'm going to go after God with everything that I have within me. And let me tell you that the world is fighting tooth and nail to keep you from making that decision. If there was one decision that the devil could, could, could cause you to make in your life, it's the decision to be apathetic. It's the decision to sit down on your couch spiritually and be a spiritual couch potato for the rest of your life and do nothing for the kingdom of God and not even be willing to grow. 
Bible says that God has awesome plans for us. Do you know what the devil's plan for you is? Just sit there. Just chill. Don't be so radical for Jesus. Don't take such a stand in your life. It reminded me of the quote that Zig Ziglar once had. I've been quoting Zig a lot these days. He said, people who aim at nothing hit it every time. People who aim at nothing hit it every time. If you will spiritually aim at nothing, you will spiritually be in the exact same place that you were 10 years ago, 10 years from now. So number one, nobody can go to the gym for you. Number two, there are areas of our life that are build, built intentionally. Number three, this is a word of warning to us. The less that you work out, the harder it becomes and the sorer you get when you finally do work out. The less I walk in love, the more it hurts when I have to. Think about that for just a moment because this is a huge deal. It hurts when I have to walk in love and I'm not used to doing it. My sister and I worked with kettlebells. I told you that we did a workout this past week. We worked out with kettlebells. And I worked out and did a bunch of squats and did a bunch of stuff that, and worked muscles that I hadn't worked in a long time. And that's why they hurt so bad. Not because the workout was hard. There's people who could do a hundred times harder of a workout than me. But it hurt so badly because I wasn't used to using those muscles in that way. Did you ever get done with a workout and be like, I'm sore in places I didn't even know I had? Yeah, why? Because you're not used to working out those areas. When God calls you to come up higher spiritually, he's going to ask you to work out in some areas that you're not used to doing, and it's going to hurt. He's going to ask you to forgive some people that you don't want to forgive in your life, and it's going to be hard. But the more you'll yield and the more you'll obey and the more you'll choose mercy and choose to walk in love and choose to pray and choose to give and choose to read the Bible and choose to be involved and choose to do these things God's asking you to do, the easier it will get. It'll hurt at first because it's a muscle you're not used to working. But the more you work it, the stronger it'll get. And, the, and listen, this is how the kingdom works. This is every area of life. The more you do it, the more yielded you are to God, the easier it will become. And see, this is good news. This is the last point of this verse. It's good news. And here's the good news, that often what starts out as a painful discipline soon becomes a cherished activity. What starts out as a painful discipline becomes a cherished activity. You hated the treadmill the first time you got on it. Now you can't wait to get to the gym to get on that treadmill because it's something you love to do. You hated to forgive your spouse because they pushed all your buttons in the wrong way, but now that you're used to it, you can't wait to forgive them. You hated to be merciful to your coworker because it was a muscle you're not used to using, but now that you've been doing it for a while, it becomes a cherished activity in your life. Ever met somebody who was addicted to going to the gym? I guarantee you they didn't start that way. At some point, they had to get over the hump of discomfort. When you begin to sense the joy of maturity, you won't want it to cease. When you begin to sense the joy of maturity, you won't want it to cease. Now let's move on to verse 13. This is going to tie it all up for us. Y'all doing okay still? Everybody all right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
This is one of the most joyful verses in the whole book of Philippians. Because you have to understand that in order to do all the stuff we just got done talking, in order to work out your own salvation, in order to exercise and be diligent in all these different areas of life, you have to know that it's God who's at work in you to cause those things to come to be. You can't do it on yourself, on your own. We can't do it on our own. I can't, I can't give myself the spiritual exercise that I need apart from God. I need the Holy Spirit to be my spotter. I need the Holy Spirit to be my trainer. He's going to be the one that's shouting out how many reps I got left in my love walk. Forgive him again. Forgive him again. Forgive, just one more time. Come on, push that bar up. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. It's God who works in you both to will and to do it. If you tried to exercise yourself on your own, it would be a, a train wreck. It would be a failure because you can't. I can't. We can't. We need the Spirit of God at work on the inside of us. Can you say amen to that this morning? The word work here where it says it's God who works in you, it's a very interesting Greek word. It's the, work, the word energeo. We get the word energy from it. The example that came to my mind is the example of a yacht, because I'm, I'm a boat person. I really like boats. And so my kids and I love to watch yacht videos on YouTube. So we'll sit down, and my kids will say, can we watch one of the, they'll say something like, can you, can you find a video on the world's biggest yacht? And so that's what we do. We sit in YouTube, watch yacht videos. But one of my favorite parts, you know, they go through all the, you know, some 300-foot yacht that's 20 gazillion dollars, and, and they got like five decks, and they'll, they'll tour all the beautiful rooms and all the kitchens and all this stuff, and then they get down to the bottom, and they show you the engine room. I love the engine room. I love the engine room. You know why? Because there's something that's got to push that 300-foot yacht in a direction. There's some power, there's some power source, there's some unit that's got to be the driving force behind getting that boat to move. Those boats are amazing. They're heavy. They're incredible. It takes them a quarter mile to make a left turn. I mean, those things are huge. And likewise, there's something huge running them. There's something huge providing energy. Something has got to be powering that giant ship to move through the water. What is powering your life? What is the thing that is at work in you that's causing you to grow, that's causing you to work out your own salvation? It's nothing else, no one other than the Spirit of God who's working in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. Look at what Isaiah 40 verse 31 says. You don't have to turn there, but I'll quote it to you. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. You have access all the time to a limitless power on the inside of you that will create energy in your life for you to do the will of God. Amen. When I feel like I'm at my worst and I have nothing left to give, I'm only one prayer away from heaven's power going to work in my life. I'm only one yielded moment away from God's power to cause transformation to happen on the inside of me. Amen. Just like the engine room of a massive cruise ship, the spirit of the living God lives in you. He's, in the, he's at the bottom level. He's at the basement of your yacht. And he's powering and causing you to grow. We need to learn to cooperate with him. Finally, he says, we'll close with this. 
It's God who works in me both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is why I said this is the most encouraging, joyful verse in the whole letter. Because of these two words, to will and to do. It means that even when I lack the will to do the right thing, he is working at me to will and to do. Even when I, think think about this for, for just a second. Have you ever been in a situation where you know what the right thing to do is and you just don't want to do it? Only all of us, right? I can remember, I've told this story before, but I don't think I've ever told it with my sister present, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Um, One time she and I were riding, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but we got invited to a party at David's house and some friends were going to be there. You know the people I'm talking about, but on the off chance that they might watch online, I don't want to call them out. Um, We got invited to go to this party when we were living in Florida and we were in, in high school or just maybe college, I don't know. But we're driving together in my car down Fruitville Road in Sarasota, Florida, and we had been given an invitation to go to our friend's house to a party. And we looked at each other and we were like, should we go to this party? And Laura was like, I don't think we should. I'm like, I don't think we should either. And we're both like, let's go. So we did. So we, did. So we went. And we went to this party. We got to this party, and there's people there, and they were doing drugs. And, they were, and so we, we, were, we, had the, we didn't have the smarts to avoid the party, but we had the smarts to leave before anything got crazy. And, and it got crazy. So thankfully, we avoided the crazy. But have you ever been in that moment where you're driving down the car, getting, driving in the car, getting ready to make a decision? And you know what the right decision is. You know what the right thing to do is, but you lack the will to do it. This verse promises you that because God is the engine room of your life, because God is working below deck, powering you and causing you to do his will, that even the moments when you don't have the ability to choose the right thing, you still have the ability to choose the right thing because it's God who's at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You can do God's will for your life because even when you don't want to, he'll give you the want to. Even when I know what is right and have no desire to do it, if I'll ask in faith, he'll give me the desire to do his will in my life. Guys, this thing is rigged in your success. This thing is rigged in your favor. Even when you don't want to do the will of God, if you'll yield to him for a split second, he'll give you the desire to do the right thing. And I, can, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, every one of us has experienced this in our lives. He gives me the desire to do the will, his will in my life. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and you will do them. The New English translation of that verse says, I will put my spirit within you. Watch this. I will take the initiative and you will obey my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. Paul goes on to tell us in verses 15 and 16 of this passage that we're to shine as light in the darkness amongst a crooked and perverse generation. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it by working out our own salvation, 
by partnering with the Holy Spirit, by going to the gym and letting God work us out in all these different areas of life. And by recognizing that even when I lack the ability to do it, he will supply me with the willingness to do his will. Would you stand up to your feet this morning? We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.